Welcome to Together, Sharing This Resurrection Life. This is a podcast with sermon series for small group discussions. Be sure to check out the show notes for a reading guide. I encourage you to jot down a few notes after you listen to the sermon. And then there's also a link to click on when you meet together as a small group that you can submit your attendance and any questions that you might have to me, Pastor Hagen, and I will follow up with you personally. Please come join this resurrection life together. This particular episode is part five of Pastor Mike Novotny's You Reap What You Root, looking at Go. Pastor Mike Novotny is pastor at The Core in downtown Appleton, Wisconsin. And the show notes um, introducing tonight's sermon. Sharing the good news about Jesus is an obvious way to produce joy in other people's hearts. But Paul was convinced that it was a key to producing joy in our own hearts as well. He prayed for his friend Philemon to be active in sharing his faith in order to grasp all the good things that we have through Jesus. The same is true today. A go root produces incredible fruit. Mike Novotny, you reap what you root, number five. So great to have you here, church family, returning guests, those of you here for the first time. We love Jesus. We love to tell people about Jesus. So thank you for joining us this evening. Uh, The other day, I was studying the religious demographics of the county here where I live. Uh, Because apparently you don't have much of a social life. And I uh, I was studying all the different churches over the last uh, 10 or 15 years, the ones that had increased, the ones that had decreased. And I found some pretty fascinating facts. But if you compare the 2000 census to the 2010 census here in our county, the overall population has increased by about 10%. And yet most churches haven't increased by 10%. In fact, most churches haven't stayed even. I found out that the Protestant churches in our community, Lutheran churches and Methodist churches and Presbyterian churches, had actually dropped by 5% in membership. The Catholic Church had dropped by about 14% in membership in that same time period. But of all the different churches and religions and denominations, it was the last category that demanded my attention. A group of people that right here in our community had increased by 681%. Only 6,000 of them in the year 2000, but 47,000 by 2010. And I have to imagine that number has continued to skyrocket. And... And that group of people was the nuns, N-O-N-E, nun. Are you Catholic, Lutheran, Presbyterian, non-denominational, evangelical, Protestant? Over 47,000 people right here in our county would say, uh, actually, I'm, I'm none of that. And some of you understand that number because you're, you're part of it. If I asked you about your spiritual life, you you wouldn't self-identify with any church or any Christian denomination, any specific kind of religion. Um, Maybe your parents didn't raise you with with a close connection to a church. Uh, Maybe they did just a couple times a year. Maybe they were every Sunday kind of people. But, you know, stuff happens in life. And we start to question the beliefs of our parents, or sometimes we repeat them. And we end up without a a church, without a religion, without a real passion for spiritual things. If that's you, if, if a roommate or a significant other or a friend or a coworker invited you here today, I just want to say uh, we're so glad that you're here. 
And I was thinking, you know, today might be a little bit awkward here. I'm going to talk about reaching people just like you, but I hope as I speak today, you find out why. Why we Christians believe that Jesus Christ is so amazing that if we didn't tell you, if we didn't invite you, we'd be like the worst people on planet Earth that we would keep this good news to ourselves. So thank you for being here. But for those of you who are Christians, I hope when you hear that number, 681%, 47,000 people, I hope it like messes with your heart just a little bit. Because these aren't people way like on the other side of the planet that we'll never, never meet. These are our people, the people we care about and do life with, the people that we love. These are the people we see when we go out to eat, the people we play bar league softball and, and volleyball with. These are our brothers and our sisters. They're our sons, our daughters. They're our roommates. They're our best friends. They're, they're the good people that we, we love and we care about. And so I hope when, when you hear that number, even if you love church, even if your relationship with God is solid, something just gets uneasy in your heart. Like, I can't sleep well tonight unless I, I try because there's so many people right here, right around us. And that's why before Jesus went to heaven, he gave you a command what Christians sometimes call the great commission or the great mission of Christianity to, to go. You, you go. Don't wait for the pastor. Don't wait for some committee from the church. Like You go to the people that you know that don't go or don't know Jesus and, and you tell them. You go and, and let your light shine brightly. Love them. Listen to them no matter what they believe. Invest in their lives. Care about their problems. Pray for them and let them see what it's like when Jesus is at the center of a human heart, how we can find peace and joy and forgiveness despite the craziness of the world, despite the terrible things that we've done, you go and reach people. But that's the hard part, isn't it? You go. Doesn't matter who you are, how much you know about Jesus, it it doesn't matter your personality type. Jesus said that not just to some of us, but to, to all of us. All of us should go, and that's pretty complicated. And there's this picture we sometimes have here at our church that we call the five roots. And, and I've started to learn that the last two roots are really difficult. Like coming to church and, and gathering as Christians, that's not too difficult. And joining a group and getting to know other Christian people, doing life with them is not incredibly difficult. Growing, you know, praying at home, opening your Bible. Okay, it's a challenge to get into that habit. But these last two, like giving of ourselves generously and then going and talking about Jesus, it, it feels impossible sometimes. And I wonder if you've felt that before. Like you've, you've seen someone at work, there's someone in your neighborhood that doesn't go to church, they don't believe in Jesus, and maybe part of you wants to, but there's like something or, or maybe some things that, that kind of get in the way. Like maybe your personality just isn't the type, right? When you go out to Applebee's, you want to eat Applebee's. <laughs> You're not thinking about the spiritual and eternal future of the woman who's waiting on your table, and just to start some conversation would just be weird and awkward, wouldn't it? Or your kids or your grandkids have a sporting event. You just want to watch them and take pictures and enjoy your family. You're, you're, you're not thinking about, like, how can I talk about Jesus with a guy sitting next to me on the bleachers? When you're at work, you're just trying to get work done. You're just trying to enjoy life. And so, like, intentionally going into every room, every place that you are, and thinking like an evangelist, like a missionary, uh, that can be awkward. And once you start talking, it can get even more awkward. <laughs> and talk about the Packers or the Brewers or the weather and perfect strangers will feel comfortable. But talk about the Bible and church and Jesus. 
and it can get kind of weird. And no one wants to be weird. No one wants to be that, like, Jesus freak, cram it down your throat, awkward, where did that come from kind of conversation. We want to be liked and accepted and loved, and sometimes that doesn't happen when you talk about spiritual things. Or maybe you just don't feel qualified. <laughs> maybe you have no clue what you would even say if someone asked you to describe your faith. Maybe you feel like your life is too much of a mess to be any kind of example to the people in your world. Maybe the people in your life know that you struggle with addiction or drugs or that you go to AA or to a recovery meeting. Maybe they've seen your anger problem or they know that you've been through a divorce or, or two. I mean, you're not, you're not the perfect example of the Christian life. So who are you, like right now, to tell them to follow Jesus when you're still figuring out yourself? And so for a dozen different reasons, there are lots and lots of people at our church and in the Christian church who don't go. They might give and grow, they might group, and they might gather, but it's been a long time since they invited someone to learn about Jesus or verbally express their faith. Now, if that's you, if, if you struggle with that tension, I'm, I'm so glad that God decided to put this little paragraph in the Bible, a paragraph I want to share with you today. It's right after Jesus has risen from the dead and right before he returns to his father in heaven, he gathers like his inner circle together. And in just three verses, Jesus pretty much answers every question and deals with every objection that we can imagine. And so if you're one of those on the fence people who maybe hasn't talked about Jesus with a non-Christian for days or weeks or months or maybe even years, I want you to pay attention to Jesus' words because they're beautiful and powerful and they can change you and help you join this great mission that God has given to all his people. So if you have a Bible that you brought with you or you just want to follow along on the screen, I'm going to be in Mark chapter 16 today. And here's how verse 14 begins. It says, Later Jesus appeared to the eleven as they were eating. He rebuked them for their lack of faith and their stubborn refusal to believe those who had seen him after he had risen. And I love that verse so much. Now, for context, you should know in, in the next verse, in verse 15, Jesus is going to say, go and, and preach the good news. And what happens in the immediate verse before it? He rebukes his apostles. Now, the 11 refers to the 11 guys that Jesus handpicked. They were like in the Jesus Christ school of theology. They followed him. They heard Jesus. They saw his miracles. I mean, if anyone should have known what they were doing, it was these guys. And what does he do? He rebukes them. He calls them out because they were stubborn and imperfect and they didn't get it. After Jesus had risen from the dead, he, he appeared to his female followers and they went and they told these guys and they stubbornly refused to believe that the women are right. And so a, a verse before he sends them, Jesus calls them out. And I love that that's in the Bible. I mean, number one, if you're kind of a skeptic of, of thinking the Bible is just like a man-made book, this is such great proof that it isn't. I mean, some people claim like Peter and James and John, they wanted like power and fame and money. And so they kind of handpicked, you know, what would make it into the Bible and what wouldn't. But tell me this, if you were Peter and James and John and you were crafting the Bible, why would you let this passage stay in the Bible? Like, yeah, you know, after we walk with Jesus for a while, yeah, he called us out as stubborn idiots. Yeah, so you should follow me. <laughs> like, no, 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 you'd, you'd certainly edit that out and you wouldn't let it make in the Bible. So, so here this is, and it is such good news for us. Because what is it saying? That if you're imperfect and if you're flawed 
And if your faith is far from where it should be, you're, you're not disqualified. In fact, you're the very kind of people that Jesus originally sent on this great mission. If you're taking notes in your program, this is the first thing I want you to write down here. Why would a person like you go? Well, because Jesus sends sinners. <laughs> Stubborn people, flawed people, broken people. Jesus sends them. It doesn't disqualify you. The, the Christian faith isn't based on how strong you are, but on how strong Jesus is. So you and I and all of us who follow Jesus can go. It kind of makes me think of this dad uh, I knew from my last church. Really solid guy. I see him in church a lot. He loved his wife. He loved his daughter. Uh, he loved to worship. But uh, a few years in, into attending our church, he noticed that his daughter was kind of drifting from the Christian life that Jesus had laid out. And he was worried and he was concerned and he asked me to, to pray, maybe even to speak to his daughter and, and asked him, well, have, have you talked to her yet? And he said, well, well, no, pastor. I said, well, well why not? You, you love her. You, you love God. And this was his answer. He said, well, well, pastor, when I was her age, I didn't exactly do things right myself. So like, who am I to, to speak to her? <laughs> you know, in a sense, I had a lot of respect for that dad. He, he didn't be like the overly cram it down your throat religious parent. He was humble enough to know that he was imperfect and sinful and flawed. But I, I think at the same time, he forgot one thing that Jesus sends sinners. <laughs> that sometimes when we've messed it up, we've actually learned that not doing life Jesus' way tends to backfire. Sometimes we've learned some wisdom that people who haven't sinned haven't gotten. And more than anything, I think he forgot that when Jesus sends us, he doesn't send us to say how great we are, but how great he is. <laughs> this isn't like self-proclamation. This is Christ-exaltation. We... We don't go into conversations like pounding our chest. Instead, we go pointing to the cross. And so it doesn't matter how messy your life is. It doesn't matter if you're still struggling with addiction. The, the point of Christianity is not that we Christians are a bunch of really good people who gather every Sunday to become a little bit better. The point of Christianity is that all of us are still pretty messed up and we need to gather to be reminded that there is still a savior for broken people like us. And so if we, if we used on Friday night and, and we had too much to drink on Saturday night and we got in a fight on the way to church with our family, that there is still hope and there is still grace because there is a Jesus who is bigger than every single sin. <laughs> in fact, I think if you're really messed up, you might be the perfect poster boy or poster girl for the Christian mission. Right? If the best person, the like saint of our congregation would go and tell her friends about Jesus Christ, they might be intimidated and say, well, I'm not that good. I wouldn't belong in a place like that. But, but if you're jacked up and really messed up and your friends and family know it, well, then maybe they would realize that they too could be forgiven and accepted and included and chosen and saved. And so God is sending you. Yeah, you. Because there's this little corner of our community that some of us will never see except you. I mean, come on, if I showed up at your apartment complex or at your job and I said, attention everyone, I would like to speak about your faith in Jesus Christ. <laughs> it would be awkward and it would be weird and your friends and coworkers would want nothing to do with it. But if, if you had the same conversation, hey, can I talk to you about faith sometime? And that, that door might be wide open. Because you've loved those people and, 
and they've come to trust you and you've invested in their lives. You're not just some stranger knocking on door with a, with a handout, a pamphlet, and a clipboard. You're a person that they know and love and trust. And so God is sending you. And he's sending you to say something beautiful. That's what we find out in Mark 16, verse 15. He, Jesus, said to them, the apostles, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. <laughs> it's an epically important verse for the Christian faith. And, and so let me, let me break it down to you. Jesus starts with this word. He says, go. He says, if you're a Christian, I don't want you to stay. I, I don't want you to wait. I want you to go. You know, there, there's sometimes when we have to pause and, and wait for the door to open. I mean, I don't think standing on, on a soapbox with a bullhorn and a sandwich board is a great way to spread the message of Jesus. But still, there should be this itch in every Christian heart. There are people who just don't know. Like, they don't know where to find unconditional love because no one has ever told them clearly. So I hope there's like this urgency that keeps you up sometimes at night that, that I gotta go. Like, that, that guy I know for my job, someday, God, open a door because I, I gotta go and tell him, those guys I play soccer with, Lord, like, like, they don't know. Like, they're gonna die sometime. They're gonna stand before you. And maybe no one's ever told them how to stand before you without shame or being condemned. So, so go, Jesus says. And where do you go? Well, that's the next part. You go into all the world. You go into the Christian world and the Muslim world and the Hindu world and the Buddhist world and the world of the, I'm not sure, and the world of the nuns. You go into the straight world and the LGBTQ plus world. You go into the world of Democrats and Republicans and could care less about politics. You go into the world where guys are wearing Make America Great hats again, and you go into the world of suburban people with hybrid cars and a lot of liberal bumper stickers on the back. You go into that world, into this world, because that's the world that God loves. You know, sometimes Christian people make this huge mistake where we assume that, you know, those people would never, ever come to my church or believe in my Jesus, which is crazy. <laughs> I mean, please, just take that thought if it's in your head and throw it in the garbage can right now because tell me, does Jesus have a type? And the answer is no. He, he's been surprising people and doing crazy things for all of human history. Like who, who would have thought that God could change the hearts that he's changed? And, and what's stopping him from changing the heart of the person you're thinking about right now? And you know the story that the guy who wrote about half of the New Testament was named Paul? And before he became a Christian, do you know what he did? He murdered Christians. <laughs> and do you think at any Christian prayer meeting they said, you know who we should invite to church? Yeah, the guy who's been killing the guys from our church. <laughs> like, no one ever would have thought that that guy would become a Christian, and yet he does, because God can do the unexpected. So never, ever, ever look at someone in your life and say, well, they probably would say no. Because the Holy Spirit has a way of making the human heart say yes when they see the beauty and the power and the love of God. So Jesus is saying, go to the people that you know, go into all the world. <laughs> and what do you do? I love this verb. He says, go preach. Preach. You know, sometimes people say, don't preach at me. Uh, they shouldn't say that because preaching is a beautiful thing. Uh, the word preach in the Greek language essentially means to repeat a message from the king. Like if there was a king in the castle and I was his messenger and he said, there's going to be a feast in the kingdom. I would go and preach if I came with his royal authority and I told you what the king said. And that's essentially what Christians are called to do. 
We don't make up a message. We don't just share our story. We, we preach. We say, here is what King Jesus has done and said. Here's what he wants you to know. Maybe you haven't heard him. Maybe you've never seen him in this book. Maybe you've never read his words, but he has a beautiful message and it's for you. And I, and I want to preach, not my opinion, not my suggestion, but the words of the king himself. <laughs> and what do you preach? Well, here's my favorite part. You go into all the world and you preach the gospel. The gospel. You know the word gospel? It literally means good news. And if you're one of the nuns, if, if you're not really a, a church person, if you have kind of a bad experience with Christian people, I, I wonder, I know there are a lot of things that keep people away from church, but I wonder if it's because you were part of a religion that didn't specialize in the gospel. You see, there's two teachings in the Bible, the the law and the gospel. They're they're both good teachings, but church is bad when it only preaches the law and not the gospel. When all you hear are the the do's and don'ts. You shouldn't live like this. You shouldn't talk like that. Make sure you give this much. Like, if if that's all you hear, eventually, eventually you rebel against it. You realize, I, I can't do all that stuff. I don't even know if I want to do all that stuff. Why would I do that stuff? Which is why Jesus says, don't just preach the law. Preach the gospel. And the gospel is the good news about all the things that Jesus did for you. The fact that he knew that you would break the law, that, that I would struggle to love everyone in my life as much as I should. That all of us would try to replace God with something as the, the first thing in our life, the sun at the center of our solar system. He, he knew we would struggle and mess up a million times. And so the gospel is that God himself came down from heaven. And every single day of his life, Jesus, who is God, he lived perfectly and he loved everyone. And when he died on the cross, he made an incredible trade with you. Like everything messed up you've ever done. Everything you think like God is going to judge you for, Jesus took it all to a cross and he, he died to pay the entire debt. But not just that. He, he didn't just send you back into God's presence with a, with a blank spiritual bank account. Instead, he gave everything good he ever did. The Bible says it's like Jesus wraps us with this perfect garment, this stainless outfit, so that when we walk into God's presence, we're not stained and flawed and dirty. We're beautiful And we're perfect. And he rose from the dead to prove that that's true. And if a Christian has never told you that, I'm I'm sorry. If you were raised by Christians and you've worked with Christians and played sports with Christians and no one has ever told you that Christianity is about that, it's about the gospel, about a God who loves us when we don't deserve it, a God who did what we couldn't so that we could end up in a place that we wouldn't have without him. I'm sorry, but, but I'm glad you're hearing it today. And I hope you know that this is why Jesus is the greatest thing in the world. There are a million philosophies. There are countless religions. But there's this Jesus. And he is unlike any other. You know, it kind of made me think of, uh, of this. I stopped at like a home and garden store before today and I bought these uh, daffodil bulbs. They're kind of these dirty, brown, nasty... <laughs> Things I kind of don't want to touch them. I'm glad they're in the plastic. Um, do you want to guess what's on the other side of this little piece of cardboard in my hands? See, every marketer knows if you want someone to grow flowers, you don't show them the process, but the end product. I'm planting these bulbs. It's going to be messy, and there's going to get dirt under your fingernails, and it's going to take a while. It's going to take a lot of sun and a lot of rain and a lot of work, but what's going to happen in the end? 
that. <laughs> I think a, a lot of the reason that many Christians don't share their faith is because they think about this and not about that. They think about the conversation and what am I going to say and what if I sound stupid and what if they don't want to come and what if they don't listen and what if it takes a long time and what if I say something and then they don't say anything back and like it's awkward for the rest of human... You know, we think so much about the process and we forget of what could be the end product. We forget what, what could happen if we preach the gospel and someone that we know actually believes it. <laughs> and that's why Jesus has one more verse for us today and... In verse 16, here's my favorite part. Jesus says, whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. Now, Jesus is real. He, he loves the world, but he says, if you don't trust in him, if he's not the center of your universe, you will not be able to stand before God. One day you will die, and, and God will not compare you to your siblings or your culture. He will compare you to his standard. Did you love me with your whole heart? Did you love every neighbor as yourself? And if you try to do that without Jesus, Jesus himself knows you, you won't make it. You will be condemned. But it doesn't have to be that way. Because whoever believes the gospel and is baptized, is saved, you will be rescued through simple faith, I love that verb, whoever believes, like right now, you could believe that. <laughs> you don't have to follow 12 steps or 50 boxes to check. You trust in Jesus. You put your faith in him. You stand before God and you say, I, I couldn't make it without you, Jesus. I'm holding on to you and your cross and you will be saved. And that could happen to the person you've been thinking about tonight. Your son, your daughter. Can you picture them coming here? Hearing the gospel, believing in Jesus. Can you imagine that this next Christmas, this next Easter, like here they come and maybe for the first time when we pray as Christians, they close their eyes and they start to communicate with God. Can you imagine five years from now, the people that you never ever thought would join you in your faith? They're singing the same songs and they're praying the same prayers because they love the same Savior, Jesus Christ. It can happen. For 2,000 years, it's been happening because the gospel works and whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. So why would you go? Why would you take the chance? Why would you share your faith? Well, here's my last fill in the blank for you. Because Jesus saves sinners. The people you love, the people that don't seem like they're the type, Jesus can save them. He can rescue them just like he rescued you. Which is why we're going to try. Uh, today is what? October 7th, which means we have about 10 weeks, 11 weeks until Christmas Eve. And uh, this Christmas Eve at our church, we are going to try harder than we ever have before. So our staff had this crazy idea that none of you know about yet, and I'm really excited about it and about this much terrified about it. So let me tell you the idea. It's actually our last fill in the blank if you're taking notes. So this Christmas Eve, on one night, for the first time in our church's history, we're going to have two services where I'm going to ask you to invite four friends so that we as a church of about 250 people have a thousand invitations and our prayer, God willing, is that 500 people come and hear the gospel. And I got to tell you, this is crazy. Uh, we've never had two services for uh, a Sunday here at our church for any day at our church. 
And if the same amount of people came to two services as come to one service, it would be kind of an awkward, empty, and depressing Christmas Eve. That, that's the part that terrifies me. You know, the most people we have ever had come to our church was the first ever service the Corps had back in 2009. 410 people showed up. Uh, the second place service was this past Easter. 408 people showed up. Remember the kids sitting on the, the stairs back there? But we're asking that 500 people would come this year, and we can't do it without you. So I'm asking you to, to think and to start to pray for four people that you know that don't go. And I want you to talk to them yet, and I don't want you to invite them yet, but, but here's what I want you to do. I want you to pick a Christmas Eve service that you're going to come to. I'm going to ask the incredibly offensive thing tonight that you would actually plan this Christmas around spreading the gospel instead of family convenience. Like you, you would just be here and make your holiday plans work around that. And you would start to think and pray about four people that you could come to hear some really good news about what Christmas is all about. And whatever those four names are, I need you to write them down today. I need you to put them on a post-it note. I need you to stick it on your bathroom mirror, on the nightstand next to your bed. And I need you to pray, God, please, please, please open a door. You love these people. I love these people. But these people don't love and trust in you just yet. So would you please open a door? And I pray that 11 weeks from now, church would be this full, not once, but twice. And there'd be people grabbing those communication cards and checking that box. Tell me more about Jesus. He sounds incredible. And the people that you thought, that they never come. They do come. And the people that you assume, they'll never believe. They, they start to believe. Because that's what the good news does. It changes human hearts. Because that's what it did for Alex. You might recognize uh, this guy, Alex, and his friend Nate. Uh, Alex on the left was one of the guys who was passing out programs as you came into church today. And th these are two really good friends who have really incredible roots. They love to gather here in Jesus' name. They've been part of, of life groups and Bible studies. They grow in the word and read their Bibles at home. They give generously and volunteer. And they have gone into the world to spread the gospel with the people that they know. But did you know it wasn't always like that? <laughs> you see, years ago, only one of the guys in this picture really knew God well. The guy on the right. Nate and Alex had become really good friends playing baseball together in college. They eventually became roommates, but only one of them went to church and trusted in Jesus. In fact, I asked Nate, uh, do you have any pictures of you and Alex from together in college? And he sent me one. He actually sent me this picture. <laughs> <laughs> I hope that was a Halloween party. I never asked them, but I'm really, really hoping. There's Nate and Alex. And I asked Nate, like, what did you think back in the day? When here you are, your roommate, one of your best friends, isn't a follower of Jesus. And Nate said this. He said, Alex was always the one I prayed about. Just like I'm challenging you today. He started with that. I just prayed and prayed for my friend. But you know what? Weeks and months, and in fact, years went by, and Alex never came. Uh, until recently. <laughs> I'll let Alex tell the story. He said, after a dozen of Nate's invitations, I finally agreed to come to the core. My decision was based partly on my respect for Nate and my desire to attempt to feel what made him so content. But mostly, I wanted him to stop asking me to show up. <laughs> I thought I would go to church, tell him it was wonderful, then continue with my life. But I showed up once, 
and I was hooked. And that small step kept rolling in an incredible way. I asked Alex what it's like now to know Jesus and follow him, and he talked about the change in his life, in his marriage, in his faith. He talked about the peace and the joy that he had. And then I asked, I asked Nate, what's it like to see your friend here? Nate said this, I can honestly say it is one of the neatest things I have experienced in life. If you had told me 10 years ago that Alex would be ushering, joining in groups, banging on the drums in church, and leading at the same church I attended, I would have said you were crazy. It brings me so much joy knowing that we share the same faith in Jesus. (laughs) That is crazy. But God is pretty good at crazy things. And he can do something crazy in your life too. So brothers and sisters, followers of Jesus, go. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Because whoever, 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 whoever believes and is baptized will be saved. Let's pray. Dear God, I thank you for unconditional love. Uh, There's just no one in the world who would stick with us like you have. Who would know everything bad we've ever done and yet still love and reach out and forgive time and time again? Jesus, we, we love you and there's so many people who don't know that. And so I pray in the upcoming weeks and months, you would help our light to shine so brightly, but not our light, not our goodness, but your light. Like the moon, Jesus, help us to reflect the glory and light that comes from you. And I pray, God, for those of us who are Christians, that you would help us to realize how incredible this is. And I can't imagine going to sleep tonight trying to convince myself I'm a good person instead of knowing that I'm a perfect person because you've forgiven me for everything. And so help the gospel sink deeply into our hearts until we love and trust you more and more. And we talk about you not because we have to, but because we want to. I pray, God, for all people who are unsure about you today, those who are here in the service, listening to this podcast, watching on TV. I pray, God, that you'd be glorious and beautiful and worthy of everything that we would give up anything just to be with you because no one would love and forgive like you. Jesus, we we know that there are people and we can't change their hearts. We can't force them to believe, but you can change hearts. So use us as part of that great mission, God, that hearts would be changed and that eternities would be saved. We pray this all, Jesus, in your beautiful, powerful, and amazing name and all God's people. They joined their voices and they said, Amen. Amen. Amen.